Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in campaigning and community organising. We work with non-profit and community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe. Dunn Street develops community engagement and organising strategies to win campaigns both big and small. We train engagement staff, volunteers and organisers in leadership and power building and we help leaders craft their own public narrative that tells a story that unites people and moves them to act together. And if you want to act to create change in your community in 2023, then hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. When you need support with a legal issue, it can feel daunting. That's why for over 100 years, Morris Blackburn has been helping and guiding clients with their legal needs. They're here to help you when you need them the most, from workplace to medical injuries, class actions, occupational diseases, and wills and estates and planning. As Australia's leading plan for law firm, they have the local knowledge and the national network with the experience that you can count on. To find out more, simply go to morrisblackburn.com.au. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date. Phone banks that can change minds. Emails that drive donations. Events that will energise the community both online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. The SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, simply go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Hello and welcome to... Another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast, which is out every Friday, that dives into the progressive campaigns and the issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And on today's episode, we are going to talk to Matt Knox, who is a TikTok political content creator. Uh, Matt um, has been doing this now for the better part of two years and has built up a uh, what I would call a very loyal and dedicated group of supporters and followers to his really, really engaging content. And we're going to have a chat to Matt today about, I guess, um, the, the work that he does, the content he creates, the reactions that he gets, uh, and the role that uh, TikTok plays in the social media space and how it can have an impact on the political debate. So looking forward to having a chat to Matt today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and Stitcher. And if you like the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. When you're done listening to today's episode, or leave us a review on Apple Podcast and Podchaser. And for all the updates, don't forget to follow Dunn Street on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. We're taping this one on a Wednesday afternoon on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. Uh, and I'm joined by someone actually that I've been meaning to get on the show for for some time, but uh, just haven't been able to make it work. But I'm proud to say that he's joining us today. Uh, we all know him as Poggers Magoo. His parents know him as Matt Knox. Uh, Matt Knox, welcome to Socially Democratic. Great to be here. Now, we have kind of sort of been in the same room because on election night for the federal election in May last year, when we did the live telecast with our comrades from uh, Week on Wednesday, Van and Ben, 
they interviewed you on that glorious night when uh, normality was restored to our great nation. <laughs> the people of Australia had some sense and voted for the Labor Party. Um, but in the way that the show worked, there was sort of like it was it, it was like a T Twenty game of cricket. Like I just didn't know what was going on the whole time. Um, but it was like eight minute blocks where there was eight minutes of Van and Ben interviewing someone. Meanwhile, David Feeney and I are quickly scrambling through the AC website trying to work out what to say. And then eight minutes of us just making up shit on the spot. And then, you know, Van and Ben getting ready for the next interview and back and forth. And so you were interviewed by Van and Ben. But at that moment, there was something going on. And I was like, going, oh, I really want to listen to this because I really like what Matt does on social media. But I can't <laughs> friggin' trying to work out what the fuck's going on in bloody Western Australia or something. Anyway, so I thought, well, easy way to fix that. Let's just get you on the show and have a bit of a yak. For those out there that don't know um, what you do, can you give us a bit of a bit of a background into uh what you know your work on uh, on social media so basically i just started posting tiktoks really i guess from a, a pro labor perspective about almost two years ago now and yeah i'll just comment on the news politics all of that but through a labor pro labor perspective what uh what was the genesis of this what motivated you to start to use TikTok is a, a platform for your opinions. So I was going through a, a Paul Keating binge phase on YouTube and I didn't actually use TikTok at all. But my friend kept sending me TikToks and whatnot and, you know, just about garbage. And I've just punched in, I think I just punched in Paul Keating into the search bar just to see if there was any TikToks out there on Paul. Didn't think that there really would be. But, yeah, I found all these sort of, accounts that were commentating on Australian politics, but specifically from a pro-Labor perspective. And that seemed to actually be majority of the political landscape on TikTok was pro-Labor. And this is at a time where we'd just gone into that lockdown that was triggered uh, from New South Wales, that the vaccine rollout, the stroll out, it, seeing the headlines and all of this sort of insanity with the media, I think it was a bit of a place of reason as all these people kind of countering a lot of those silly narratives. And I saw that and I thought, you know, that's pretty cool that people do that. Maybe I'll just have a little bit of a crack. Didn't really think much of it, actually. And, yeah, next thing you know, you sort of start getting an audience. It was all very accidental, um, but that just sort of built up over time. It's hysterical. So it's kind of like your, uh, your COVID baby. Yeah, it is my COVID baby. <laughs> <laughs> Devil's work, idle hands, that kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, it certainly is. I mean, the first time I came across it, I, I, mean, I was racking my brain during the week actually leading up to this episode to try and work out when I first saw uh, some of your content. I think I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and the, I saw one or two and I was like, oh, Oh, this guy makes some sense. Like I just didn't know who you were or anything. I was like, I was incredibly pro-labor. Like I was like, this is brilliant. Right, you know, right in my wheelhouse and the wheelhouse of so many others that listen to this show. But I was like, oh, this is good. This guy makes sense. But I didn't sort of follow you or anything. I just kind of it was like a doom scroll kind of evening kind of thing. You know, it was obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then then probably the third one popped up. This sounds so superficial by me. And it is. Um, there was a post. I was like, oh, there's that Poggers Magoo guy again. Oh, I'll watch that. This is going to be good. And you start, I can't even remember what you're talking about, but maybe you're talking about red shirts or something, or I don't know what it was, but. 
Yeah. The, next minute, the, the Paul Sackle into, saga, Renee yeah, Heath. That's, that's what yeah. it was. That's right. And it, <laughs> next minute, you go, you know what you should do? You should listen to Socially Democratic. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> and it completely took me by surprise. And I obviously shared it amongst my closest friends going, what, what, what is this? Is someone, is this a practical joke? Is someone putting me up to this? Anyway, but no, there was obviously, what, uh, what was, why did you choose that content, for example? Give us a sort of a, what's the, the, the mind hype of that thinking, oh, I'll do something on this? Um, oh, that one was a while ago. I think just reading the piece, uh, there might have been something in there about Matthew Guy being surprised about Renee Heath when they'd been, that has sort of already come out in the news. Uh, and just sort of seeing Paul's jab at the red shirts as well thrown in there. It was all a bit ridiculous. Um, and just tying, tying all of that together and packaging it up and putting it out there. And that was just before the Victorian election campaign, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Um, I remember when I posted that thinking like this, this campaign's about to start as well. So let's see what the, um, the age does. Well, did you get any reaction? Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people were talking about Renee Heath actually and that the city builders that church group and and whatnot that i guess local information on that group so yeah okay let's um so when you first did start posting it what was the kind of initial reaction that you were getting and you know did it surprise you in terms of what you what you originally sent out to to do with that particular no even right let's go back to the start let's go back in to general this. yeah it did it did surprise me a lot actually like how many people um did support the Labor Party and did support getting a Labor government in. Uh, this was all before the federal election. So Scott Morrison was still prime minister. We're still waiting for vaccines. This bumbling clown running around embarrassing us around the world, all the rest of it. Um, it did surprise me how much support there was out there. I think particularly because before I was quite cut off from politics, uh, you know, in a, in a community sense, and just seeing all the people out there that do actually support a Labor government that are pro-Labor, not sort of on the fence or trying to weigh up their options all the time and looking at the Greens and all of this, there is actually a huge swathe of people that support getting a Labor government in that detest the Liberal Party as well. So it was it was interesting just to see, I guess, the amount of different kinds of people too. Like it's not just young people on TikTok. There are a lot of older people. My audience is almost almost evenly sort of split between the age groups that it slightly skews towards younger people, but it's just great. It's great to get into contact with people from all around the country, all different backgrounds, you know, people from the Whitlam era on there. It, it, it's, um, it's incredible. Is it, um, I mean, I'm not an expert on TikTok uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Is, is it a medium in which you can have, dialogue like i mean uh like i mean can, can, this is how bad i am can you leave messages underneath the tiktok i'm assuming, assuming you can right absolutely yeah so that there is a character limit which is fairly short but people leave comments i'll leave multiple comments as well it's not like it really uh inhibits anyone but you can have it you can absolutely have a dialogue you can also if somebody makes something you can stitch it which is where they'll make a tiktok the first five seconds of yours will play and then they can go on to say what they want to say in return to you. If people see that, they can click on your one and go back to the source. 
So you absolutely can have a conversation on there or a debate, and people do. It was interesting uh, to hear you say that the, your audience was actually quite spread out across the age brackets. In, you know, I mean, naturally I was, would have thought that it was very much targeted towards younger people, but you're obviously getting, you know, um, Gen Xs and Boomers and everything else in between. Absolutely. Why is that, do you think? Uh, I think it's, a, it's just a growing, like rapidly growing platform. I think it is the fastest growing platform. Uh, I do see it taking over your other social medias eventually. I think they all sort of have their place, but TikTok certainly where the growth is, there's only so many young people, they're already on there. So you get the older people coming in as well. I think in particular, though, with politics, ages are spread out. And there are people of all ages making political content on TikTok. It's definitely not just for young people. And it's great because you get a range of views from different generations and experiences as well. So this is good, um, definitely a good community. Yeah. Do you find um, over the journey what, certainly in the early stages with what you're producing or the material, the content you're, you're, you're producing that, um, that the platform has evolved and that you can, there's more that you can do now that, that you couldn't do way back in the start? I think so, yeah. It's also probably learning to use the platform. But um, it does change over time. It does uh, what what sort of trends I think changes a little bit, not a whole lot. Uh, you can just sit in front of a camera and talk. That's fine. That works really well a lot of the time. But you can also set different backgrounds. So you could be talking about something you saw in the news, have the screenshot of whatever drivel was written <laughs> or something good. You know, you can cut to the a background of a politician that you're talking about so you can really bring the screenshots the receipts so to speak to cut into a story and then you've got the element of somebody actually talking about that in front of the camera you know you can see their expression you can feel their emotion if they have any and you've got all the information behind them to back it up it's uh it's great to use in that sense but some people just talk in front of the camera. Some people just do short clips with like, it'll have a, you know, like a meme, like a bit of a sound or something. And that will be a trend, uh, maybe just a short 10 second thing. But you can also talk for three minutes, which I think it's a good amount of time. It's not too long. People will sit through something for three minutes about politics. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good chunk of time, I think. If you just want to cut to the heart of something and put it out there, I'm interested in uh, what you're finding is more effective. Um, you know, the podcast medium is, you know, it is, it is its own community as well. Uh, and what we've found is there are certain times of the year where our certain episodes, you know, you want to hit on, right? And that will that will get huge downloads. Like we, we find that election campaigns are money for us. That just clearly our audience want to come here and hear folks talk about Labor Party campaigns. So whenever there's elections on, that's a good thing for us. And so we need to jump on that. Um, we're not a kind of podcast that wants to just be like the news where we're responding to things immediately. Like we want to dive in and have a good yak with someone. Like it's an hour long episode for God's sake. Do you find with uh, TikTok that uh, 
what what's more effective in terms of um, reactions from audiences that you've done stuff or you've trialed stuff and went, oh shit, that really went really, really well. Is it dependent on what you're producing or does it depend on what's going on at the time or is it a bit of both? Just talk to us a bit about that. I'd say it's definitely a bit of both. So if you if you're posting something that's just happened, it's quite likely to go viral, depending on what it is, but it will usually go viral if it's just happened but you've you've got to be really quick to that because there are a lot of people doing the exact same thing uh election campaigns on tiktok i think there is a boost to people engaging with politics definitely 100 percent 100 percent particularly with the federal campaign it felt like uh i mean it might have just it probably is just my algorithm but it kind of spread out to maybe people that don't talk about politics all of a sudden talking about politics they might have an account about cooking or they might be a penguin enthusiast. I don't know. But all of a sudden they're posting something about, you know, Scott Morrison shit, get him out, you know, and they're coming into your content. It's all, uh, it's good. It's really great. It's really great, like community sort of building thing. But I find election campaigns definitely, there's much more engagement during those periods. But you can sort of just pluck out something completely random and that will necessary you know, that will get some attention i just one day it was one of my favorites it was just a sunday afternoon i've had a coffee i'm sitting around i'm like you know who's cool joan kerner so i'm thinking i don't think a lot of people like younger people i know the audience got the older audience as well but i'm like a lot of young people wouldn't have a clue who joan kerner is i'm just going to make a tiktok on joan kerner like her life story, etc., and I've tied that into like you know you know Julia Gillard because a lot of people love Julia Gillard, especially on TikTok. I'm like, well, have you heard of Joan Kerner? And I've made this thing on her; it's great, going through all her achievements and whatnot. And then there's people coming in with their personal stories about interacting with Joan, and someone stitched it, and she's like, you know, my I think a father may have worked in the government in the 80s or something like that, and she knew Joan Kerner through her family. And she had this great story about she was at school, young child, and for some reason her teacher had her outside of the classroom, maybe like in trouble or something, and Joan Kerner was coming to visit and she knew. And she's outside the classroom, upset, crying and whatnot. Joan Kerner yells at the teacher, goes outside, gives her a hug and brings her to the room. Just like great stories like that popping up just from me sitting there and going, I'm going to talk about Joan Kerner. I'm going to make something on Joan Kerner all in the space of an hour or two. And next thing you know, you're getting stories like that out of people. And people are remembering Joan Kerner. People who didn't know about Joan are looking her up. That's a great way to sort of get, I think, the history of the Labor Party out there as well. Because you're not going to see that randomly written about in The Age or The Herald Sun, those kinds of uh, places. You can pull something out from the past, something niche maybe. Another example would be, it's a great clip of Kim Beasley just eviscerating Alexander Downer in Parliament, but he keeps cocking his leg up on the dispatch boxing in the middle and just relentlessly, his legs just all the way up in the air and makes her a great clip. It's just something most people probably would never see, but you, you put it out there and it is quite funny to see. I don't think uh, people are still putting their leg up there like that. You know, I think the uh, Christian time's getting a pretty stale these days. That's fascinating, that Joan Kerner story and the fact that you just sort of a Sunday afternoon sort of, you know, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to do a, a, a post on Joan Kerner. Do, um, do you find that, 
like with our podcast, we need to, I don't know why I'm comparing this to the podcast, but I'm just sort of grounding my own experience. We need to put out a show each week. And if we don't, then our numbers take a hit. Mm. So there is a need to feed our audience. You know, they expect a show out every Friday morning. And if they don't, we notice it. Um, so we don't miss episodes, right? For you, is there an expectation for you to put out content quite regularly? Or is it kind of like Sunday afternoon, just had a coffee, want to do a post on Joan Kerner and that's <laughs> it, right? Or, or how are you structuring this? Like, because, you know, clearly it's enjoyable, right? But you want to keep it to be enjoyable. We don't want to get to a point where this becomes, oh, fucking hell, this is laborious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that regular posting, like once a day or every two days is optimal. And you do notice a hit if you don't post as much. I've slacked off a little bit this year. I'm getting back into it now. Uh, but I was posting every day, maybe twice a day uh, for quite a while, a very long period of time. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. <laughs> how long does it take uh, to make a post? It Honestly, it's insane. It, it really varies. I could make something that's quite long and it takes me 15, 20 minutes. You're also getting your backgrounds, your information, what you want to say. I don't write a script or anything. It's just sort of all off off the wall. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Wow, There's been cause... a few times where I've written something down I've thought of, but I've never actually gone off a script. It's sort of just all off the top of my head as I'm going. That's, imp- that's impressive because it seems to me that you, it, these are considered thoughts. I'm not suggesting you're actually reading off what you've written, but these are clearly considered thoughts. But if you're going off the top of your head, wow. Okay, sorry, continue. Considered thoughts in the shower. I think that's you know where it's it's done. You think about it in the shower, what you're going to say, and you get out talking to the hairbrush or something. <laughs> nice. Very, uh, um, the commitments of you continue. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so yeah, 15 minutes to do something that's reasonably long. Otherwise, how long to just something, shoot something out quickly. Sometimes it could take though. It, it, I just, it really varies. And I don't know why I don't even know how long it's going to take me until I start. Sometimes it might be two hours. You might be looking for something, from 20 years ago, an article or a screenshot and that's taking forever or sometimes it's just not working. Um, I never really know how long it's going to take. And it's interesting. You might just sort of quickly pop something out that's taken five minutes and it will just go insane. It'll go viral. And then another time you'll put a lot of effort into something and it just doesn't land right. It really just depends. I think with TikTok too, though, Sometimes the algorithm, a post will be doing quite well, but it just doesn't push it out all the way. And other times it does when it's not doing as well. It's sort of like a bit of a system, I think, to game there. But consistent posting is important, I think, on TikTok. You, you want to be at least posting two or three times a week. But if you do have a break and you come back, sometimes it will really push out what you've got to say. Uh, it could also be that people just miss you <laughs> being present there. Um, as far as like podcast formats go, though, it also has like a live feature. So we've had plenty of lives discussing politics. I mean, you've had politicians on there. Julian Hill has done some lives. Uh, quite a few Labor politicians have popped up and must, their lives are quite boomer-esque, if you're asking me. <laughs> but uh, we yeah, would... <laughs> And be critical, by all means. <laughs> uh, they're, they're good they're good I do, they just loosen up a little bit <laughs> but um yeah we've done a lot of lives gen z for albo would have to be the original labor tiktok account and one i could talk about at length and 
yeah, he's sort of, we used to do a lot of lives. You'd impersonate politicians, you pose questions to people. It's all very like lighthearted and fun, but that really brings people in too. It's not all dry. It's not all um, just about serious things and policy and stuff. It could just be about something Michaela Cash did years ago that's quite funny. There, there are a lot of like funny moments in politics that will go viral as well that you could uh, you can post up there about. But like the story, as far as like Labor's presence goes on TikTok, it is, apart from like your official accounts, all the accounts that are just posting about Labor, it's just grassroots. It's purely just people, you know, they might not be in the party. They might have no involvement in politics, but they'll get on there and talk about the Labor Party and why they support it or why they don't support the Liberals or why they don't support the Greens as well. It's even... um, section sort of for that kind of thing but with gen z for alba i think he you know he he really wanted to dominate i think after the 2019 election i think be fair to say the liberal party with their main machine i can't remember the name of it um the one from new zealand that was used in the uk as well Mm. i think they kind of dominated on social media and he saw it as like, well, we're not going to have that happen again. And I don't want the Greens to get a foothold on this platform. So he started posting. And a lot of his clips are just, they're, you know, 10, 15 second, uh, maybe a bit more trending kind of things, not talking about politics or anything like that. He's not on camera. Uh, but yeah, he, he really, I think, built this sort of wall on TikTok in politics that, yeah, this is Labor space. <laughs> and the Greens cough or sneeze. There's a post up making fun of them and it's going viral. That's, that is interesting because that was the thing that I think surprised me because I, I guess I come, I approach this from the lens of a party hack official, someone who went through young labor and student politics. And, you know, I joined the labor party when I was still in my school uniform back in Warrigal, you know? Um, and so I, I just, there's, it's not cynicism, it's disbelief that there can be people out there that are not members of the Australian Labor Party, are not politically engaged through the party process, but are, are rooting for the, to use an American term, but rooting, rooting for the Labor Party on mm. social media, you know? So when I saw you, yours come up, I was like, oh, this looks like I was just a regular rank bloke out there just talking about the Labor Party. I didn't, I didn't know they existed because normally it's either a politician or if it's going to be from someone young, it's someone who's in young Labor and it's normally crap because they're mm. so involved in it. They don't know how to, yeah. like, you, know, you know what I mean? Like they don't know how to just, they want to, they're in this sort of halfway house of, oh, I'm a politician, but I'm 23. Why are you wearing a suit? You know, that kind yeah. of thing. You know? <laughs> I think uh, it, it's certainly an interesting to think about because if you haven't been funneled through student politics and, and this kind of lens, I, you, you're not worried about what you're going to say. You're not thinking twice, maybe sometimes, uh, but you're not really putting too much thought into it. It's not going to uh, you cut your legs off, so to speak. You, you, you're not, yeah, you haven't been told sort of more, or oh, we say things like this, or we don't want to talk about that. It's just do whatever. And it works quite well. I mean, it's, it's a free expression, I suppose. And without I, all that that sort of baggage attached to it, 
it's such a that's such a key takeaway that point there yeah you're right because that is one of the things that does hamstring us in when i was certainly going through young labor is yeah you are kind of conditioned in a way to say this is this is the paradigm in which you need to fit within um and uh um and that isn't always a great thing particularly when you're uh, younger and you've got a lot of ideas what uh do you think that there is a are you persuading people out there or are you just preaching to the converted or what, what, what do you think's happening out there when you're actually putting your posts out there? Are you seeing people going, oh, shit, I didn't consider that. That's interesting. I think there's a lot of preaching to the converted. But when something does go viral, you're getting a wide audience all of a sudden. Uh, people maybe who are not interested in politics will see it. It'll come up on their feed. Maybe they never really have Ozpol come up on their feed, but... It's a, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both, I think. But you're definitely converting people on there. I had a lot of people, particularly during the federal campaign, say, well, you know, I'm going to vote Labor now. I wasn't sure about it. I've never voted Labor. Hundreds of people saying things like that, uh, literally hundreds. So it's almost like a digital door knock in a sense, except you're not knocking on their door. <laughs> They're coming to see you. But... Yeah, it, you can certainly convert people uh, to vote for Labor on there and pull people. I, th- I think there's not many Liberal voters on TikTok. Uh, the Liberals don't really have a presence on there, thankfully, and what little presence they do have is swarmed by apparatchiks, <laughs> which is great to see. <laughs> well, can, uh, I pick, can I pick you up on that? Because I actually did want to ask you about that because there was uh, the Liberals, the Victorian Liberals hired someone who I think had an association with the Teals campaign out of the federal. So coming from the federal oh. and they, into the state campaign, they hired uh, a young woman and she was the one that did the, let me tell you one thing about Dan, yes. which is an yeah. earworm that got stuck in my head at one point. <laughs> a week I couldn't get out and it was driving me insane. What, what, uh, what do you think about the, the Tories content? garbage out of touch just like the party itself and that particular cringeworthy tiktok like that was stitched by other people and you know kind of making fun of the liberal party and saying what are you doing here and those tend to garner more attention than that original post so um i think that their game on social media in general is awful just, Which is interesting because originally you said, you know, 2019, to your point before, that they were seen as the gold standard. What's happened? Mm. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I think 2019 was a lot of, you know, shifty short and you can't trust Bill. There's a lot of uh, like shit tier sort of memes. I think they've just tried to continue that, not try and engage. Like they cannot engage with people online. We know that. If you, if you ask them a question, if you challenge them, you're blocked. It's done. Um, it, it, I don't think that they're able to in, engage with people online and they don't want to. And their past has caught up with them because all of a sudden there's all these younger people that are informed and older people too that you, the liberals will make a post and the comment section is just full of people saying, well, you know, that's not quite right or that's rubbish. I just seared into my mind unfortunately is the solar shaker fries the hungry jacks ad that they did for the victorian election camp i'm just what who is this for this is no one's going to look at this it was some sort of climate package that the victorian liberal party during the election campaign it's just it's shocking 
It, it's cheap. It doesn't actually say anything. It doesn't, there's no emotional impact. It's not funny. I just miss all the beats. Let's take a quick break to talk about SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date, absolutely. Phone banks uh, that can change minds. Emails that drive donations and events that will energize the community online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on liberals themselves. Um, but if we can talk more about sort of, I guess, broader thoughts on reflections on politics and where you are seeing the conversation going in on the on social media platforms. Um, you know, when I, when I worked for the party itself, I found that certainly all through the two thousand, you know, from two thousand ten to two thousand twenty period that, that decade there but a lot of trial and error from, mm. from, from a party perspective trying to work out what and and even uh, you know facebook um the back end of facebook kept on changing and evolving so the way that we could actually engage with it like using it from a data perspective like years ago you used to be able to match uh the role with uh people on facebook and then they dropped that and so the way that you could use it as a campaign tool constantly changed. So therefore you need to constantly adapt. I thank God I wasn't a digital organizer. It would drive me insane. But, um, but I, so I was, had a you know, soft spot for the folk in our digital teams. Um, where is it going now? Like this is 2023. I just get a sense that like Facebook has just become this kind of like dead space for old people kind of thing. Mm. Um, where's the evolution of social media going as, as, a, as a tool for political content and, and communication and, and dialogue? From a politician or party's perspective of engaging with every, every, the public, or well, no, just in general, perspective. On here, from your perspective, about where do you think it's going in terms of because you, you you are an active participant on it, um, mm. so less about what the parties need to do, but where do you see it? Where, like, it, where are you going to continue to invest your time and energy and resource to wanting to be effective out there and communicating with folks about politics and why you know why you should vote Labor or why you should be conscious about the issues around your own community. I think it's just all going to end up on TikTok, to be honest. Uh, Instagram's kind of become a bit stale. It's not really the greatest place for a conversation. Uh, Facebook, I think, is good. People wanting to get a lot of information out, uh, but it's not really... It, it is a dead space. As far as Twitter goes, well, Twitter's going down the toilet uh, who, who knows a very volatile platform with elon musk now uh i i see tiktok as the the future of in, engagement I, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize like you can really talk with people as you would on twitter you might have a shorter character limit it does not matter you'll leave three or four comments as you block it'll be responded to somebody can respond to you with a video talking to you uh i think it's a a better place to engage actually than twitter it's a bit more lighthearted too it's a bit more personal but i do see everything sort of moving over to tiktok it's, it's certainly not a platform just for for videos it is a platform for discussion uh lengthy discussion you yeah i just i don't really see i i think twitter won't be as important to politics moving forward it unless something drastic changes on there but 
I I think it will. You'll get more people sort of move over in haven't time. We, it still have its place. But haven't we been sort of talking about the death of Twitter now for quite some time? Like it seems like I remember. Listening I don't to Bill know. Simmons, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I managed to remember listening to Bill Simmons' podcast in around 2012, where they were talking about you know, um, you know, Twitter's just Twitter just can't keep up with Facebook. And mm. it's going to, you know, its shares were going through the floor and it's not going to be able to sustain itself as a business and it's just going to fall over. And here we are 10 years later and it's still here. But, yeah, now it's owned by Elon Musk and we're all, you know, making all these prophecies that it's going to crash again. And it mm. felt like maybe a month or two or three months ago that that was the case. It was like these are the last days and <laughs> people were all jumping to that other platform and saying farewell. It was nice knowing you, but yet it's still there. I just I'm wondering if we may be jumping the gun a bit on that one. It could be. I, I think Twitter's great. I think actually a lot of the time if I'm making a TikTok, you'll go to Twitter because it's an easy place to gather all that information and it would be sad to see that go. Like it definitely has its place. It's just the Elon Musk factor. Uh, <laughs> to have my, my concerns with uh, what he is doing over there. But it, it is a great place to gather information. Just as far as engaging with people though, I think you can engage with people on a far more personal level or emotional level on a platform like TikTok just compared. But I, yeah, Twitter should always have its place. It probably won't die. It's just seeing, I know my feed's changed uh, since Elon Musk took over. It doesn't seem to quite work as well. They you, they want people paying for these blue ticks now. It, it's just, it's it has lost its way a bit. Yeah, the blue tick thing actually is weird, right? Like, I mean, I never really kind of liked the blue tick period. I just thought it was a bit elitist. But apparently I remember reading a feed or an article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about saying how critical the blue tick was in the early days in order to sort of boost, like, you know, get little Brian Jameses out there actually punching stuff out, actually made the platform work. But now that every any random can get a blue tick, it's mm. actually the complete opposite. It's actually mm. killing the ability for the, for the the for the platform to work properly. So the, the, here is a money-making exercise that actually is hurting the business. Bizarre. Um, there was an article uh, that I read uh, talking about how all this particular, I mean, they were mostly looking at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook about how every time they get to a position where the algorithm is working for itself and doing well and everyone enjoys it, that they adjust it mm. in a way that actually hurts it. Mm. And I think it's a nice way of saying every time the boomers come onto this platform, it kills it. But <laughs> it was, it's a bit more, it's a bit more in depth than that. Um, and I, you know, I've noticed, so it, it, the, the user experience is for, oh, like I like Instagram. It's the first thing I open the, in, in the morning. And the reason why I first liked Instagram was I just liked the pictures. It was kind of reasonably <laughs> positive, you know, like it was a nice thing to wake up to. Right. Um, and now I find that most of my feed is just full of a whole bunch of things I am not following. And I'm just like, I don't want this. I, I, I've curated this Instagram feed to reflect all of my sporting teams, uh, fine whiskey and, uh, you know, and some stuff on Irish politics and that's about it, right? And I just want that. So why am I getting all this other shit and it's starting to annoy me? And I'm wondering is... Do we get to a point though that that may happen to TikTok as well? That they, the the guys that the people that run TikTok are going to start mucking around with the algorithm. The same problem, same curse that happened for these other platforms may happen for TikTok as well. I think so. It seems to be the way of things, but I think that that will be in quite some years. They're going to mess around and make something worse. I don't think that that will be coming anytime soon. 
it might also be a difference in TikTok sort of seems a bit quite different to your American social media giants. Um, there might be some different thinking that goes in there as well. Yeah. Can, I, um, can we talk, let's talk just mainstream politics for a moment. Um, we've had Daniel Andrews on the podcast a couple of times. We did an episode last week with uh uh, David Feeney talking about the milestone of uh, the Andrews government and he's um, reaching uh, or surpassing John Cain as the longest serving Labor Premier in the great state of Victoria uh, over the Easter break. Um, what do you think has made Daniel Andrews and the government s- successful amongst the community? Consistency, I think, and honesty i mean i see daniel is quite an honest politician uh, i remember particularly at the start of covid march 2020 i i feel like he was the first and maybe only leader to really just come out of the gate and i remember him just saying people will die it wasn't people might die you had everyone else saying we're going to do the social distance dance we're, you know, we're going to do this and stay in thumbs up all the rest of it and he was somebody I felt like being quite honest about what was going to happen. I think always showing up as well, didn't miss a beat during lockdown. But now that we're past all that too, just getting on with things, actually doing things that have a material benefit to people's lives, like removing level crossings, like finding hospitals, like talking about issues that people face and not being afraid to say so, not being afraid to stand by trans people, for example. I think people find that refreshingly honest. I think, uh, you know, that might have been seen as a gamble a few years ago and here he is coming out and saying, you know, we stand with trans people, we stand with whoever it might be. Uh, We're not going to let, you know, people tear us apart. There's no real place for that in Victoria. I think that does bring people together. There was something that uh, David and I talked about in the show last week, which was that how historically, certainly in the Howard years, uh, the Labor Party continued to get itself twisted into knots over a bunch of issues in which the Liberal Party were quite effective in wedging us. Um, that doesn't happen here in Victoria with Daniel Andrews. And the Liberal Party have tried so many different times on issues and then in the end <laughs> end up wedging themselves, which mm. I think is hysterical. And I think a lot of that is down to just the strength of his leadership. To your point, the example of the trans community. You know, sometimes, the, I, I, you know, listening to what uh, Anthony Albanese has said on it, you can see that he is, uh, I won't say cautious with what he's saying, but he's certainly thinking about the sentences that he's saying. Then I know mm. that Australia is a big country. Uh, we're not homogenous. You know, what people think in far north Queensland is fundamentally different to what people think on Brunswick Street. Uh, so he has to have that in mind. I don't think Daniel ever thinks about that. I mean, I know no. he does think about that. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think he's quite clear on his values. Like, yeah. I mean, don't, it's also don't, a reflection on Victoria being the greatest state by a country mile. <laughs> I, I think we're just more progressive down here. Why is that, do you think? And, I mean, do you actually think that? Because, I mean, I do Absolutely. travel around the country a lot, of, a lot and a lot, a lot of people mm. outside of Victoria do think we are a socialist utopia and I just think, think that is quite funny. That never mm. was the case. I don't know why they think that now. But what, what is that? What's going on there? Is there something in the water? Uh, I honestly have no idea. Maybe it's just the city itself that could be 
more room for discussion. I really have no idea, but I think that we are the most progressive state. And I get people, you know, particularly on TikTok or whatever, if you talk about Daniel Andrews, I wish he was my premier. People from all around the country uh, wish that was the case. <laughs> so um, we're obviously doing something right. It is interesting to that point. Yeah, like, I mean, certainly over the COVID uh, experience nationally, there was such mm. a um, admiration for the leadership of Andrews and the Andrews government here in Victoria from folks outside of our own state, which would seem weird given that we were all in lockdown and the rest of the country was running around having parties every day, Like, but they all wanted our leadership. Mm. There's something not right. You know, there's a counterintuitive to, to that. What, what, what is, what's going on there? Why do people outside of the, the country, sorry, outside of our own state really admire the leadership of, of Andrews and the government? I think we've just reached a point. Labor governments are like steam trains. They take a while to build up. So if we look back from 2014 to where we are now. We're getting a lot more SEC and so on. These kinds of big big ideas because there, there is a clear mandate from people in Victoria. You're building on the foundations of what you've laid out years before. We've sort of reached that pinnacle point. And I think having someone, you know, a Labor leader that is quite you know, brave and, and willing to push forward on things and really push the dial uh, is a great thing. And people see that around the country and they want that for their state. I do think it takes time to build up and it does require a certain kind of person because you have to bring everybody along with you. You don't want to be pushing off big ideas and, and scaring people. They jump out of the car. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's what is admired about Victoria. Just get on with doing these things. Uh Let's talk about something that we've held back for a bit and I've been wanting to bring this to, to the last kind of subtopic, the media. I want to get your reflections on the mainstream media and their political coverage and how uh, uh, online activists such as yourself and, you know, the Friendly Geordies and uh, Gen Z for Elbow and all of these kind of platforms out there that are communicating to an audience, giving information how that is working uh, in conjunction with mainstream media, and what, what do you think? What, what do you think people are seeing from media in terms of political content that they're not happy with, but are engaging with this kind of stuff that you're putting up, which is only like a three-minute video, right? Like it's there's a mm. journalist slaving away to write a piece of you know the, the two or three columns for the week, and it gets absolutely shat on. And then here's you in the shower thinking of a great idea, posting it up, and it gets a great response. What are they? What are you doing right that they're not? Wearing, you know, I think people want to see somebody wear their heart on their sleeve. Uh, quite a lot of, I think, political conversation. It's just, it's just fence sitting. It's very milk toast. It's not blah 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 blah. It's not really exciting or emotive. I don't think it speaks to people. I think people have their values and want to hear people that share their values. And it's also obviously important to look uh, at the other side, people that might be quite different, like the Herald Sun, um, to keep an informed perspective, which is what I'm always telling people. They might say to me, oh, you know, I've just, I haven't watched the news during this federal election campaign or state campaign. I've just watched you. And I'm like, don't, I'm like, don't do that. Go out there. Consume a variety of sources, please. <laughs> you don't you don't want to stick to a uh, one thing. But I, I think that that's a big part of it. The media plays it really safe. They're they're leaning obviously quite 
to the teals or the Tories or the Greens, and it's just old. I think Tasmania has got a Liberal government and that's it. So why are we always talking about teals and, and Liberals and, and all of this and through this sort of perspective? I don't think there's, a, you know, there's no pro-union uh, media outlet. There's no pro-worker outlet. There's no pro-labor outlet, which is why I think we're finding success online in talking about these kinds of things. It's not there, so we have to make it happen. And we have to keep it alive and uh, build on it because it's it's not going to be – the media is not going to be helping us. It's not going to be helping the average worker at all. I remember during the federal election campaign last year, there's a piece put out in the ABC. Uh, you know, the ABC, is, it's, it's pretty good. I think it has its issues, but it's fine. Um, but there's a piece put out and saying there's, there's no contest, no real contest of ideas this election campaign. And I thought it was quite sad and dismissive because here you have a Labor Party talking, you know, we want to fix aged care. And there's people living in these horrible conditions. They've got no nutritional food. These, yeah, coming in with climate policy for the first time in a decade, talking about raising wages after a decade of wage stagnation. These are things that are really important to people. And I thought, what, what contest of ideas are they looking for? They're talking about a Tesla battery being installed in their home, subsidised or something like it. Is that exciting to somebody from perhaps a media class or an upper class? They want things like that. But these real things that actually help people are just being overlooked because they're not exciting. They're not necessarily sexy to people. You might have the Greens come out with slogans like free mental and dental and we're going to build a million homes. And they are just slogans. Like they're you know, there's no intention of them following through on anything like that or appealing to a majority of voters to be able to do something like that. I think uh, it was pretty sad to see that there was no contest of ideas, so to speak. I think there was a contest of ideas and it was, you know, do we want to build the foundations back where we look after old people, where we pay people decent wages, or do we want to keep going the way that we are? There was a... I saw on Twitter in the lead up, maybe it was actually on election day or in the final day, someone tweeted uh, who lives in Aston was saying that we kind of all, the citizens of Aston all kind of felt like um, uh, animals at the zoo and everyone was Mm. coming to look at them and everyone being the media, the way that they sort of set up, you know, prodding the outer suburban voter, uh, you know, look, let's, Go like Richard Attenborough. Let's go. Or David Attenborough, whoever is the environmentalist, you know, like doing documentaries on this is the uh, this is the Aston voter in the wild going <laughs> to the shopping centre, you know, kind of thing. And they were like, um, we, you know, what are you doing? Like, we're just regular voters. This is this is this is suburban life. Like, where the hell have you been? Like, you're all probably living in, you know, I'd imagine near Rochelle Campbell. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Um, and I look on not, hashtag not all journalists. Uh, I like that there are some great journalists out there. Definitely, uh, they, they've got a they've got um, you know they've got a great um, uh, it lens or ear eye and ear for an issue. Uh, great writers or great communicators and can and can um, you know just give the news straight right and let voters then decide. They're few and far between though. Um, mm. And I'm not even talking about the Herald Sun. Like, I mean, the Herald Sun basically now are to quote. Steve Brack's election night irrelevant, but they're mm. also they're a parody, you know, they're a parody account basically for for the Liberal Party. Yeah, um, I think people only, have realised that too. That they, they, they've yeah. gone 
they've flown too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think they've been propped up basically by contracts with Woolies and Coles to, you know, Harvey Norman. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the super coach. People are just getting it for super coach, right? Mm. Um otherwise you took those things out of it, then I don't think you know, they'd be selling like thirty copies a week. It's the age. Because they yeah. do the kind of the age here's what the age do. The age of that is like that prick at school who would be going around and, you know, doing all the bullying behind the scenes without anyone knowing and then trying to front in front of the teacher saying that, you know, they're about leadership and stuff. No, no, you're a prick. Yeah. You know, they're the ones because eventually the, like the, 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 the state campaign, early doors, right, they were just as up to their eyeballs in absolute blatant, blatant biased reporting and then, then eventually did that moment where they went, oh, geez, aren't the Herald so bad about the way they were covering the election campaign? And going, hang on a minute, big fella. You were, mm. you were just as, in, you know, complicit in this as well. Don't try and then, you know, and they're writing about it a lot. The only one that does it, Margaret, um, who writes for The Guardian, I forgot a certain, Margaret Simon, is it? Mm. She's one of the few journalists who said, everyone's involved in this. This is a cartel of shit journalism, you know. And, yeah. and that's the one that doesn't get retreated by all the journalists. You know, the ones that get all retreated by, oh, so true. Yeah. The, the circle jerk, the patting on the back. Yeah. <laughs> the consoling. <laughs> I think uh, a great example of that. I mean, Costello's media output, it's tops in turtlenecks. It's, it's not... Um, I don't think it is for most people. It's a lot more. They do sometimes some all right things. Congratulations the, for the bare minimum there. But a great example would be Paul Keating getting up at the NPC the other week and hitting back at the journalist. Quite fair. I think it was something we've all missed seeing. And to see, I can't remember who it was. It was something from the, someone from the Sydney Morning Herald. But you, you can see him gulp when he finishes his question. <laughs> And then he has to sort of back himself up. But well, we do great journalism. And all of a sudden there's this tweet chain of, of, of all these uh, journalists saying, you know, it wasn't fair. Paul was so mean to us and we went there to hold him to account. I'm thinking, hold him to account for what? He's not in government. He's gone there to talk to you about submarines. What's he being held to account for? <laughs> like, his, finger, his hands aren't on the levers of power or anything like that. And it was, it was really important we go there and, and hold him to account all this sort of nonsense, it, yeah. It, the, I think the patting on the back that they do and the consoling, I love it though. I, I think it really just separates them, and everyone can see it. It's like okay, <laughs> it is true. It, it, it is fun. I, I look. I did. I mean, I, I don't think we've spoken about this on the on the show. Uh, haven't really had an opportunity. Yes, the Paul Keating National Press Club was the best. I love. Look, I am a self professed. I love Paul Keating. I joined the Labor Party because of Paul Keating. You know, yeah. he was like, you know, <laughs> as a kid, right? Loved Paul Keating. I, I used to get my dad to tape Question Time because it was only on at 11 o'clock at night. I'd watch it the next day just to watch, you know, Paul Keating in the theatre, right? Um, him rock Like, do you know what I love about this? Keating didn't even bother going to Canberra. Someone said, can you appear for the National Press Club? Sure, I will, but I'm not living in Sydney. Just give me a comfy chair in the studios, the ABC <laughs> in Sydney, and I'll do it re- remotely, right? So then he's sitting in his comfy chair with a, probably a nice little uh, cup, of, cup of tea beside him, and then just watching all these uh, <laughs> journalists, I was about to say tourists, all these journalists, you know, front up and get berated by the former prime minister, you know, ding, next, right? Oh, I've got something to say to you. You should hang your head in shame with the things that you have written in the last two weeks. Yeah. Next. Oh, you. 
you're an idiot. You're just a complete idiot. Ding. Next. Like it was just, it was classic Keating. And I loved every moment of it. I wish we could do that every week. Hmm. I think it was great. I mean, I, I think Paul really, I was going through that Paul Keating binge phase on, on YouTube. There's so many great clips of Paul, which is another great thing I'll do on TikTok is I'll pull out an old clip from 1995 or something. Paul Keating saying one thing, post that up. A lot of people wouldn't have seen it. Um, but just, yeah, hearing him destroy people. I mean, I think that kind of got me in to wanting to talk about politics as well. I, I find listening to a lot of what he's got to say, it's almost like listening to music. I don't feel like I'm listening to a politician. It's like watching an art form unfold. PJK would love you saying that too, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought about this and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this um, before we wrap up. I wonder how a politician like Paul Keating would have gone in today's um, social media landscape because in the 1990s we didn't have social media and the Mm. news came through a very, very filtered, uh, you know, newspapers, radio and three or four television stations and that's it. And by the time we got to the 1996 election, the media had framed Paul Keating up as arrogant and out of touch. Uh, and the 1996 election was an absolute hiding to nothing. But one of the strengths, I think, of social media is this consumption for, you know, there's, there's these viral grabs that that people do, whether it be a politician or a celebrity or even just a, you know, a regular mum having some sort of laugh with their kid, right? It's, these, it's the viralness of social media that makes it a success. Paul Ketting would be constantly giving us viral moments that we could just devour and love and it would be straight through to the audience and I think it would mm. come across no longer as arrogant but as just straight talking Paul Keating, you know, which is an yeah. asset that people want in leadership. I don't think Daniel Andrews is any different. Like no, the, the yeah. example of it was the press conferences during the lockdowns. We were just mm. getting, we were getting Daniel Andrews. We weren't getting the Herald Sun's version of Daniel Andrews or the Ages version of Daniel Andrews. We were getting Daniel Andrews, and guess what? People liked it. And do you know why yeah. I know they liked it? Because they voted for him in spades last night. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Ketting, what do you think about that? I mean, if you he was in today's landscape, how, like just watching that press club go off on social media, where people were just like, "Yeah, oh, Paul, Miss Paul." Yeah. I think uh, he do just find a lot of people say that uh, Julian Hill has a huge presence on TikTok and online in general, and um, a lot of people compare him to Paul Keating. So if um, maybe that's the closest thing we've got to seeing something like that. I don't think it's quite the same. <laughs> but he, th- there's a point there. I think that there is some similarities. He's very straight-talking and, and quick-witted, uh, very sharp, and he puts out a lot of... Uh, a lot of content and it does very, very well. So I think it would work. I think people like seeing it too, because you're not getting this through the lens of the media. You're just getting it from the politician and they're not necessarily always speaking in political speak. You can see when somebody's just honed in like a laser and just making their point because they believe their point. And I think Australians have also just got zero tolerance of bullshit. Yes. Yeah, 100%. That's one thing I've always liked about the Australian electorate is that just don't bullshit a bullshitter. You know, there's only so much you can get away with and uh, you get found out pretty quickly. One of the things mm. I, always, 
well, I think that actually we should have primaries in the Labor Party in terms of selection is get our candidates in front of our membership and our broader supporter base in that selection process because that'll test you whether or not you've yeah. got the <laughs> That'll test you've got the makings to be a, you know, a politician to represent a constituency, right? Mm. Um, anyway, maybe I'll save that for the how do we reform the Labor Party uh, podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Magoo, Matt, it's been great to uh, sit down and have a good of a, a bit of a chat uh, with you. Good old fellow, uh, West Gippslander. Wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, can I uh, ask you to give your uh, – we'll probably put all the links to the – social handles uh in the bio but please uh give yourself a bit of a plug on some of the things that we, we, how you want people to come and follow you how do, how do we find you on social media is what i'm trying to say yep so you go on tiktok I, i'm trying to consolidate all my names uh on tiktok it's comrade underscore matt and that's really where you'll see me put out content but on twitter it's poggers magoo which is a silly name uh and that's where you can find me where did Poggersburg? Poggersburg sounds very Gippsland, by the way. It sounds like actually when I first heard it, I thought, oh, I reckon he's from near him south, but I was a little bit off no. by about 40 Ks. <laughs> uh, Poggers just basically was a sort of internet meme term that just meant excited. And then I just thought, I'll just throw Magoo on the end. That sounds so stupid. I'm not taking that seriously. I'm just, I'm kind of embarrassed that uh, it's still up there. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, own it. It's real. It's beautiful. Uh, Matt. Lovely to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking t- taking time out of your day to come and have a chat to us. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with uh, all the work that you're doing, the great work you're doing um, for the progressive side of politics on social media. And we'd love to have you back on the show in the near future. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Socially Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And to get all the latest on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Social Democratic was brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energize the community online and offline and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. To find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign.